What's up, family? It's your boy, Daniel James II. I'm your host right here on Black Voices on the Hill. Black Voices on the Hill is a podcast and radio show for the culture. We center Black lives, amplify Black stories, and enhance the Black experience at Cornell University. Black Voices on the Hill is brought to you by WVBR News to see when more new and upcoming episodes and for other Cornell and Ithaca news. Be sure to follow us at Black Voices on the Hill and be sure to tune in right here on WVBR every Friday at uh, at 2 p.m. and the episode releases the following Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Listen, I have a very special guest in the studio. Some of y'all know her as Black Lives Matter protests have um, resurfaced across the country behind, you know, these moves, talks about policing, etc. She's a former police officer in Buffalo, New York, turned social justice advocate. Uh, you all know her, especially in the upper state uh, New York area. She now has a law named after her, which has become synonymous with this duty to intervene of police officers. Yes, I have the one and only Miss Carielle Horn. Say hello to the people, Miss Carielle. Hello. Hello, good people. How are you? Awesome. Now, listen, Miss Carielle, I'll just get right to the point for you. Uh, how did you even become a law enforcement officer, first of all, first and foremost? Well, they were offering the test. Um, I took the test, um, passed it, and soon became um, a police officer. Now, I had no, uh, it, it wasn't pre-planned. It was nothing that I chose. Um, I thought maybe I could be a lawyer. I did think about that. But um, it was something that just happened. I mean, I always wanted to work with children, which is something that I'm going to do now, work with the youth. But um, it wasn't something that was pre-planned. It's so interesting you say, I want always wanted to work with children or uh, you thought about maybe being a lawyer because today, you know, I would say that those types of interactions are maybe what we're looking for sometimes when we think about law enforcement, you know, interaction with community, et cetera. But uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of people have those same thoughts when they're entering law enforcement. And I, I always wonder, what's, what is, how do you make that step? Did you have any qualms about being a police officer as a black woman? Well, I mean, back in 88, which is when I became a police officer, um, there were, um, we were like one of the first um, big classes of, or maybe second big class of, of black recruits. So getting on the job, you know, you, you pretty much learn quickly about the go along to get along type of mentality or the good old boys system that that have been going on. Good stuff. And that's a that's a huge part also of um, police culture. And since you talked about the good old boy, Sisto, let's go ahead and get to this. Uh, I came to know of your story back in 2020. I was a Hyrule Fellow for the PPG in Buffalo, Partnership for the Public Good. I was researching Buffalo's history about policing, police brutality um, in particular. And I was sitting on a common council meeting and they kept saying, Cariel's Law pass it, carry out law. And I was like, so Inspire, I wrote a journal about it. And then I turned it into an article that was entitled The Good Apple That Spoiled the Bad Bunch, basically oh, entailing the yeah. systemic, yeah, the systemic nature of brutality, how it was normalized in departments and how your story represented an anomaly to that. And it disrupted that. I want, I want you to go ahead and just tell your story, tell your story. What happened um, on that day? And what was it? 2006? Tell me what happened. 
Yeah, so November 1st, 2006, um, there was a call of an officer in trouble that I responded to. When I got there inside of the house, the officer was punching a handcuffed black man. Um, not that it makes a difference whether he's black, white, Puerto Rican, whatever. Um, he was handcuffed. And so I didn't do anything because I didn't know what happened prior to me getting inside of the house. And once I got outside of the house, you know, with the other officers, because I helped push him out of the door because it, it was just a crowd of officers. So we were going out the door, help push them out. Uh, we got to a gate where his leg got caught. Bottom line is um, once we got him past the gate, the officer, Gregory Kwiatkowski, should have just taken him to the patrol vehicle. But instead, he swung him around into, um, to put his back against, Nilmak's back against his chest and choked him. And I just yelled, Greg, you're choking him. You know, thinking that he just needed to hear my voice and come out of whatever was going on in his mind. And he didn't stop. So that I grabbed his arm from around Neil Mac's neck. Now, of course, when the news story came out, it was me jumping on his back and turning around and pushing another officer. And like, I just came there in full force to just beat up everybody for no reason. And I said, the only thing they needed to do was ask a question. That one question was, why? Why would I do that? So fast forward, George Floyd, um, you know, the officers did nothing. And then people were saying, well, wait a minute. Wasn't an officer fired for doing something? Yeah, these officers did nothing. And the whole world is like, wow, these officers, somebody should have stepped in. And that's when, you know, um, the firing was overturned because, of course, I, I was fired after that. So then um, in 2020, just like my attorney, Intasar Rob says, they got 2020 vision. And that is what happened as far as Cario's law being passed and the firing being overturned. And up to this day, which is, what's today, April 19th, 2022, I still have no pension. So even though um, there was a public apology from the governor of New York State, um, basically saying, you know, to give me the pension, um, that was in December of 2021. Yeah. I still don't have it. Still do not have the pension. First no. of all, uh, tell us what is Cario's Law. And then I want you to tell us what we can do, you know, in radio podcasting, whatever, even the audience that's listening out there, people who are just listeners, what can we do to make sure that you get that picture? Because we want, I've been reading this story and I read you got, you got it and you don't. So please tell us. So um, actually, as far as Cario's law is concerned, um, I would like for it to be a national law. Cario's law is the duty to intervene, but it also um, is, you know, accountability for police officers who mm -hmm. don't intervene. Um, so in my case, it was used to um, retroactively give me my pension and um, to undo the firing. So in that case, it was it was used to help me and it can be used in the future to help other other police officers if they're in the same situation. Um, but as far as Cario's Law, um, you can go to carrioslaw.com and um, I'm not exactly sure if 
if all of the information is there, but I will make sure that it is there. Um, but uh, I want it to become a national law. So if anyone is listening to this, feel free to have me come speak. I will break it down to you. I will show you how to um, present it, uh, which is something that I had to learn, you know, how to present my own law because I only knew what I wanted. I just, I didn't know how to get it passed, but then I got a Karyos Law team and they helped push it here in Buffalo, New York. And also I had a great team of lawyers um, through Kirkland and Ellis and Harvard Law um, who also helped, you know, with the, um, the um, fight to undo that. Um, at this point, I'm still in the same situation that I was 15 years ago. Um, but I have a law that can help other officers so they don't have to go through the same thing that I had gone through. Are you satisfied with the way that Buffalo has implemented the law? Well, we haven't used it yet, but I'm wondering if it's going to be a time that we can use it um, for incidents that have happened recently. Mm. That is so interesting. You talk about your predicament not changing 15 years, but you know what? I it's it's so interesting. You see so many black people, but in particular black women. Uh, put their entire like lives on the line, but they produce, you know, work that can change everybody else's lives. But we want to make sure yours is taken care of. So right now, y'all push to have Carrie's law passed, and let's also push to have her pension reinstated. She deserves it and so much more just for the courage that you have. I mean, that was in not the 1980s, and it took some courage. Uh, but I noticed that you do a lot of community work because last time we were on the phone, mm -hmm. you're talking about, all right, he helped that elder do this or whatever I, from what I heard. And then you were just at a, um, the home going of a, a community member. Uh, tell us about some of the community work that you do now. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I started a, um, a um, well, I'm working on starting a, a, a program. I started the company, but I, I'm working on the program. Um, for the youth, because my own son is locked up for murder and robbery. He didn't murder anybody. I tell you that. And I have to constantly say that he's locked up for it, but he did not murder anyone. The thing about it is that these kids, they no matter what, like everybody knows what I was doing. I don't know what everybody else's parent was doing, but what I am going to say is our children are left to be the ones that die and go to jail. Everybody else gets off scot-free. So we have to come together as community members um, to make sure that our youth are taken care of. There's a lot of programs out here, but it's like giving a child a book and telling them to read it and they don't know how to read. It's the same thing with these programs. You have someone out here. One guy told me um, he was in a he was in a program, and I said, "Well, what are they doing with you?" And he says, "They take him out to eat." Okay, well, I can understand going out to eat to break the ice and to get to know them. But then, while you're breaking the ice and you're getting to know them, you also get to understand 
what's lacking. So if you're going out to eat, well, if I was going out to eat with this person and then I knew that they didn't have their GED, my next step would be to get them into a GED program. So when I said, well, why aren't you in the GED program? He says, because I have beef. I said, the point is you're in the program because they know that. So there has to be something in place to help you get to the next step. So that's what I'm saying is you have a program, but they can't go to it because somebody may be there in that program that they have issues with. And it's going to mess up the whole program because nobody's tapping into their minds and the trauma that they're dealing with. So um, that person that I'm speaking about is my son's co-defendant. But just think if he had got the help that he needed. Mm. And you talked about your son. He's incarcerated now, right? You say he is. Okay. So I want to ask you then to sort of wrap up before you have to go, but I want to ask you uh, just about the carceral system, what you, you've, because you've already hinted at, right? Not tapping that trauma, which is already a failure that I feel like the carceral system um, has made. Some people would say like the, the carrier's law is very much, you know, there's been moved to defund the police altogether. Right. And then there's sort of carrier's law. And then there's, you know, these issues with decarceration and then there are prison abolition movements. What do you think is the next step that needs to be made? The, the, the United States, you know, um, federal branch has already failed. Congress has failed to pass George Floyd Policing Act. There's so much failures in terms of the front on what needs to be done next to ensure that citizens, people, but in particular black people, people of color are protected uh, whether in jail or outside. So what do you think needs to be done next on um, the jailing, policing, I mean, jailing front, and then what needs to be hap- happen on the policing? Well, it all goes hand in hand. First, there needs to be, the laws need to be changed. Yes. The prison system is a farce. It's like you're putting someone away for, let's say, 25 years. Yeah. And then they come out into the same to- toxic environment that they left if not worse, and they don't have the tools that they need. And then you tell them, don't hang with felons. So I've been living with felons for 25 years, and now you want me to just go out and just, what, do interviews and find out who's a felon and who's not? So the the system needs to be changed. I'm for defunding the police or reallocating the funds into the community because if we have someone who's in a program and they're saying, I can't go to school because I have beef. Well, you're in an anti-violence program. Why don't they have a program for you to, to um, go to school? Just like during COVID, we learned, hey, a lot of people can do a lot of things through video chat, right? So why can't they be taught through video chat? They can because it it has happened. So it's not even solutions that I'm creating. Things are already out here. They're already out here. So I don't, nobody has to reinvent the wheel. We just have to use the systems that are in place. And first we have to tap into our kids' minds. There's no conflict resolution going on uh, when you're you're in jail. That should be the, when, when, if someone goes to jail, I think there should be a bar. 
let's say you're you're locked up for I'm just going to give it an example of larceny. First thing we, we need to know why you did it. Maybe somebody stole something because they were hungry. They stole out of a grocery store because they were hungry. So now we put something in place to where they are able to get food. It's just an example. If you're locked up for assault, why are you so angry? Conflict resolution. Um, it's, it's common sense, really. A lot of the things are just common sense. So that's why I want to work with the youth because, you know, when I thought about it and I said it to my son, I said, you know, if we just go back two years and just here in Buffalo, let's say it's been, and I'm just, I was just giving a round number, 50 deaths of our young black boys. 50, that's, that's 200 if we go back four years, right? Mm -hmm. That's 200 people that are not here. That's not counting the other people who have gone to jail. So can you imagine just in your neighborhood, 200 people just vanishing, just being gone? Not actually vanishing, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and it keeps going on and on and nobody's doing anything about it. But they say, oh, you know what? Violence is going up. Let's give more money to the anti-violence programs. Why? If they're not utilizing what they have. So we just need to. Um, so anyway, with the, with the program that, I, that I'm doing is not to reinvent the wheel. It's just to utilize all of the systems that are already in place. And I would like to write legislation to help decarcerate. Is that the word you use? That's the beautiful word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good, you know, and, and people act like that's how I know this whole black on black crime is such a farce, this whole narrative, because like there's always been movements. We've always cared about violence happening in our own community, but we also care about the fact that the state should not be able to to commit violence against citizens and also should not be able to, you know, wrongfully incarcerate. Um, people in our community. I love that we care about, we care about it all. And I think that um, I love the aspect that you talked about, about children as well. And, and starting from there, breaking what I've heard called that school to prison pipeline as well. Um, all of that is interrelated. Like you talked about COVID education. I remember I was working in a carceral facility in, uh, in Lansing, New York, which is not too far outside of Ithaca. And they just cut off, you know, the whole the whole tutoring program. So the kids get punished, 15, 60 year olds, because, you know, of a, a pandemic they couldn't control or even. Exactly. Listen, yeah. I went to the, the anti-violence program and I said, our kids need help. I said, I was like, they really need help. And I was told that the program was shut down because of COVID. Now, as far as the program being shut down, I can't, he couldn't help that. I can't help that. But as far as being a mom, I didn't shut these kids down because I bought my son a lawnmower and he was doing cutting grass I, and I bought him musical equipment, a camera, because that's what he liked. That's right. And I said, don't let them pull you into their direction. You pull them into yours. And I was talking to a 15 year old at the time, of course, you know, not telling them about peer pressure. I just figured if I stay in his ear, He'll hear me. You know, it's like we stayed in church. We used to hate church because we went like every day. But sitting there, you hear and you take it in whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that I was doing with him. 
So it's it's like a lot that I can speak on about that, but because you know um, it hasn't gone to trial yet, I really can't speak on um, too much more. But I just want people to understand that you know no matter what we do, we have to we have to be active. And you know I was active with kids that I did not know. Um, I didn't know their parents. But, you know, these kids these days, if you ask so many questions, they back off. And I wanted them to open up to me. I didn't expect my son to be incarcerated right now. But all I needed was help. And not even with mine, with other children. That's good stuff. You talked about children already. Now, y'all see this beautiful black woman who doesn't look a day over 30 right here okay she has five children and a host of grandkids y'all believe it or not 15 15 15, 17 15 about to be 17 grandkids it'll be 17 now miss carriel tell me that story i want to tell me that story before we started recording you were telling me something i thought it was so powerful tell me that story you were saying um, about something you were telling your 97 or maybe your 97 year old grandfather, your 97 year old father told you, tell me, tell us about that. So, um, I was, I was taking him to the grocery store yesterday and I was basically saying how we should just be satisfied with what we have. You know, we are, we all live in a house, whether we're renting or whether we own, right. Uh, we all eat, whether it's, um, tuna fish or, or caviar. Um, we all dress the same, whether it's Walmart clothes or whether it's, or whether it's, um, I, I'm trying to think of a, a brand name. I don't, <laughs> I don't even really get into that, but, um, either way it goes. Yeah. The, the thing about it is that we just have to understand that it's really the simple stuff in life that, that makes us happy because it comes from within doesn't come from all of those material things. So I was saying that I have what, what um, the, the nickname for my van is the struggle bus. It's a rusted out blue van. And I was telling my father, I said, I'm about to pull up. So look for the blue rusted out van. I said, but it drives well. So when he got in and I was like, get dad, I know it's ugly. And he was like, girl, what you talking about? Because when I started driving, he said, it drives good. Matter of fact, when you get another one, I want this one. So I was like, Dad, I wouldn't give you this one. I would, if, if I had the money, I would get you a better one. So anyway, he was like, no, nah, I want this one because he's always been simple like that. And he's always been really spiritual and everything. So anyway, um, I don't know exactly how I said it to you, but basically the struggle bus right now is a blessing because it gets me from point A to point B, just like a Porsche would. I don't even know what to say to that. I think that that is so beautiful. And it just made me, I think a lot of listeners, you know, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds listening to my show, but I'm at Cornell. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of privilege here. And I think (laughs) I want them to hear I wanted them to hear some the story of somebody who is so powerful on national headlines. You know, somebody whose story now everybody across this nation knows, but it still has a humility that just shines through through her personality, through everything she's done. 
And I think um, the the best is yet to come for you. I just believe that, Miss Garyell. So um, wow, well, that would be cool. That would be really cool. I believe that. Listen, are there any like sort of um, last sort of things you know that you want people to know about Miss Carol Horn, your story, Buffalo, whatever? Well, I would like people to know that if they want to help out the struggle, Cash App is dollar sign Carol. Mm-hmm. C-A-R-I-O-L. Mm-hmm. And also I would like to, I would love to come and speak wherever. You know, some some gigs are paid when people can pay and some are not. My thing is I just need to get this message out. And we also need to pay attention to our children. It may not be your child. Um, it could be someone else's child. And maybe that child may open up to me where he may not open up to somebody else. So he may open up to somebody else we may not open up to me or she and we need to open ourselves up to being uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable for these kids to be dying and going to jail so if we can get help with that that'll be great if you know of any programs or anything just let me know carryohorn at gmail.com is my gmail is my email um so um, you can go to carrioslaw.com and get more information on Carrio's Law. Um, and you can also email me um, if you need more information. Thank you so much. Listen, y'all, this has been Ms. Carrio Horn to see when more new and upcoming episodes of Black Voices on the Hill. And for other Cornell and Ithaca news, be sure to follow us at Black Voices on the Hill on Instagram. Follow WVBR FM News on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Visit us at WVBR.com slash Black Voices. Subscribe on all podcast platforms. Leave us a rating or review. I'm sure y'all loved and are going to love this episode. Tune in right here on WVBR 93.5 every Friday at 2 p.m. And the podcast releases the following Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Shout out to my producers, Mike Sykes and Grace Fairchild. Peace out, family.